You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday with Wayne McCurry. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at F&B Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. Wayne, I remember in 1939, they called the Second World War a phony war. In other words... Yeah, they declared war on each other. In other words, Britain had stated that it was at war with Germany because it invaded Poland. But then, of course, nothing happened for a while. And although something is happening in the Ukraine and something horrible is happening in the Ukraine, it's sort of a phony war for the markets because the markets are saying, well, you know, how is this going to affect us apart from the price of fertilizer and oil and natural gas and cheese going up, that yeah. sort of thing. So markets haven't shrugged it off yet. But they've certainly taken it in a slightly better way than I would have predicted. Yes. But look, look, the effect on the markets, the effect on the markets related to essentially inflation, food inflation and oil inflation. That's the effect of the markets, of the war on the markets. Yes. Now, that was in place already. That was in place. That inflation was in place already before the war started. So it just exacerbated it. Right. So in other words, if, let's pick an example, if country A that produces no oil, if country A that's an importer of oil and food invades country B that's also an importer of oil and food and both relatively small economies, the world wouldn't even be worried. So the only reason why, uh, when I say the world, markets wouldn't be worried. The only reason why markets are worried is because Russia is a big food, a big oil producer, and Ukraine is a big food producer. You know, otherwise, the war would have absolutely, virtually zero effect on the markets because they're both small economies. You know, Ukraine hardly even has a blimp on the radar screen, and Russia is just over 1.2 or 1.3, well, well, was it's probably below 1% of the world's economy right now. So it's, it's really only those two factors. Now, if, I don't know how it would happen, but if tomorrow the oil price drops to 80 because Saudi Arabia is producing more or U.S. is producing more and somehow we find this excess food from another source and food and maize and wheat and sunflower prices drop hugely, then there would actually, unless the war escalates, there would be no effect on markets because of the war. Okay, so it's all to do with supply, the supply chain. In other words, things yes. that we, we consume every single day, which is number one, energy, and in your example, number two is food, whether it be vegetable or yeah. whether, it be, whether it be wheat or whatever else it is. And there will, be, there will still be problems because they're not planting in the Ukraine at the moment, and that's 30% no. of the world's wheat supply. And I don't know if you eat bread, I don't know if you get up in the morning and have a, uh, one of your deviled eggs with a piece of toast, but it will definitely no. affect the price of your piece of toast. Uh, it will. But look, the one, the one difference with agriculture is that the, the supply response is very quick. And that's in total contrast to oil or any any other, well, let, let's call it a hard commodity. You know, agriculture, if the price is double what it was last year, that 20% of the farmer's land that they never planted because it wasn't economical to plant at half the price of the current level, you know, the next season it's planted and it's producing. So the supply response on agriculture can actually be incredibly quick. So that's why food prices never stay high for long, 
And quite frankly, never stay low for long either, because the moment they fall, the guy just, you know, the farmer doesn't plant the next year. You know, so so there's a there's a very, very quick supply response on agricultural products. Well, you can't tell me that the Saudis can't turn on the spigots. You can't tell me that the United Arab Emirates can, can turn can. it on. It's very, very easy. They're they're holding back with their production at the moment because they're I don't they're know. I think benefits. it's more of a logistical I think it's more of a logistical thing. They they just literally haven't got the distribution facilities to move an extra five million, six million barrels a day immediately. I mean the ships. They haven't got the terminal terminal ships, pipelines. You can get it eventually. You know, that also doesn't take forever to 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 do that. But uh, yes, it it can't be done very quickly because I mean even if Audi even if Saudi has got five million, which theoretically they have five million barrels a day extra capacity. Yeah. Those are all from wells that they've sort of closed down onto care and maintenance, which takes a while for them to get back up to production. You know, they've, those, those fields have been closed for a long time. So you can't just turn it on immediately. But, you know, and we've discussed this often. I don't understand why Saudi, well, let's call it OPEC, yes. and before the war, OPEC plus, sustain such a high oil price. I didn't see the logic behind it simply because the move to electric is unstoppable. And in 10 years' time, 20 years' time, the demand for oil will have dramatically reduced. And these current high prices, even though they're coining it, simply accelerates that move to electric. Like me, for example, yes. you know, I drive a very fuel-efficient motor car. Time driving, I get 6 litres per 100 k's, 7 litres per 100 k's. Super efficient. It's a diesel. What do you, what, what do you drive? But, you know, no, I drive a Jaguar. A Jaguar um, SUV? No, 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 SJ. I'm not a big SUV fan. I'm not a, I, I, I'm not a big SUV fan. I, I don't see the logic between driving an SUV around town and you can't park it nicely. It's just such a big car. Mm. But that's beside the point. Okay. You know, when I go and fill up and it costs you 1,500, 1,600 rand to fill your tank, you start thinking very seriously about an electric vehicle. But isn't it, we're talking about that, and I'm going off at a tangent as I t sometimes tend to do, isn't diesel more expensive than normal petrol? No, it's very, it's very similar. In South Africa, it's very similar. All right. So anyway, you were going on about the fact you drive a very uh, fuel-efficient car. Yeah, but it, when, I mean, still, when I fill it up in the 1,400, 1,500, 1,600 rand a tank, mm. you know, your next car, you're going to think very seriously about electricity. And I know Eskom and below shedding, and I get all of this, but you could think very seriously about a hybrid car. Because hybrid cars, you know, until battery technology changes radically, which I don't think it's it's physically possible. I think the physics are against battery technology changing radically. But, you know, until there's a new source of energy, you know, clean energy, whether it's a hydrogen cell or whatever, you know, to me, a hybrid makes more sense because an internal combustion engine, even though it's still producing carbon, you know, if it's charging a battery and it is designed to run at one set of performance data, in other words, 
constant revolutions, constant talk, it's actually highly efficient. I mean, one of the big reasons why internal combustion engine motor car engines are inefficient is that they've got to design design the engine to you know to perform between eight thousand revs and five in the between eight hundred revs and five thousand revs. You know, when it's and it's constant accelerating and deaccelerating and braking and stopping and pulling off. That's that's very inefficient for fuel consumption. Because if you design an internal combustion engine to go at exactly one thousand eight hundred revs constantly, it never changes. You design it around that, you can actually get the fuel consumption down. You probably halve fuel consumption. So you know, until there's a huge uh, increase somehow in the provision of electricity, not via a battery, you know, to me, a hybrid just makes a lot of sense. I do remember uh, probably about a dozen years ago when the Toyota uh, Prius came out, or Prius, as Jeremy Clarkson would say. Uh, when it first came yeah. out, I was offered one for the, for the weekend, and I drove it down to Plettenberg Bay, funnily enough. A beautiful car, a slightly, yeah. slightly difficult dashboard because, for, for various reasons. But anyway, yes. the point is, I didn't quite understand what was going on. Um, you don't have to plug it in, do you? You don't have to plug no, the hybrid No, that's in. a hybrid. Yeah, you the hybrid you don't have to plug in. No, it charges the, you put the petrol charges in it and it charges the electric battery yeah. and away and you go, you can engine, turn it off. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it starts the engine whenever it needs some power and it's got regenerative braking. It's a whole lot, it's, it's highly efficient. But now it's a, yeah, it's a very good question for you. Mm, go on. How many Priuses or Priuses are there on the road that you see? Um, I haven't seen one where some I am in the Netherlands. Zero. I don't see any. In, in, a sum total of zero. Yes. And these were not cheap cars, eh? No. Because what happened was, is that the batteries only last three, five, six years. Right. And the price of replacing the battery pack was worth more than what the car was. Oh, goodness. So there's literally none on the road. There are none. And mm. that's one of the problems with battery electric vehicles, is that the cost of the batteries are incredibly expensive and they have a limited life. I mean, I yeah in South Africa with uh, load shedding and everything. I've got an inverter that takes a battery, and I bought the inverter four years ago, three years ago, yeah, three years ago, and they had to buy a new battery because the battery died after three years. And you know that's, and this is just a single battery that powers an inverter. It's not a motor car battery that powers a vehicle. You know that cost me six thousand, seven thousand rand. So, you know, battery technology is not the answer yet, in my view, for electric vehicles. Okay. Electric's uh, coming, but I don't think it's battery electric. It's very interesting you say that. I haven't seen a Prius in, in the Netherlands. No, they're off the road because they were, they were all scrapped. I haven't seen them, yeah. I haven't seen one. I see Teslas yeah, being all plugged scrapped. into these electric points, which is very popular yeah. in the Netherlands, but, but then no what happens, what happens to you know, What happens to all of those Teslas in three or four years' time and you've got to re replace the battery pack. Look, I'm sure the battery pack will last a lot longer than the Prius because Prius battery technology was still wet cell, you know, the same battery technology that's been around for 140 years. You know, it was it was a wet cell battery. You know, it wasn't a lithium-ion battery as the... So I'm sure the Tesla's batteries will last a long time or a lot longer than the Prius's battery, but Prius is not one on the road. They're all, they're all scrapped. All gone. 
Uh, Wayne, yeah. you've, you've managed to um, divert me again, or rather I've diverted you and then you followed the theme. You you, you took the bet on and ran with it. Um, let's talk about the markets now. It's quite boring, yeah. isn't it? I mean, you've got that. You've, you had last week was a short week. This week is a short week. Next week is a short week. And the week after that, May the 2nd, Monday, May the 2nd, yeah. is a short week. And I, I, I think people are sort of, well, certainly in South Africa, are... Uh, I don't know, just uh, just waiting. Is it sell in May and go away? I've asked you this before. Look, I, I think it probably is, simply because, and we've spoken about this also once again on numerous occasions. Yes. The global economic environment is changing. We have moved from a absolute 100% go-go for equity environment, where at, at the... the the circumstances driving the equity market over the last 12 years could not have been better. They, they were absolutely abnormal, if not the best circumstances for an equity market in a century. I mean, I'm not exaggerating either. Probably the best environment that we've had for shares. And of course, all of that changed about well, it's coming is actually coming up for almost a year now, getting close to a year. Just before you go on, the, the ultimate environment is low inflation or zero inflation, low interest zero rates interest or zero interest and rates growth. and massive, massive strong liquidity. Growth. Exactly. And yeah. strong growth, which is which and comes strong with economic the liquidity. Growth, yeah. Exactly. So yes. actually the perfect not storm, the perfect dawn it for is a perfect equities. Yeah. Fantastic. And, and it's it was, it was highly abnormal. It was mm -hmm. abnormally good. And it's busy changing to what is probably a more normal environment. In other words, inflation, 2, 3, 4%, which I hope it does happen. Mm. And, you know, interest rates, 2, 3, 4%. That's more normal for equity. So the, the equity returns over the next decade, I, I really don't think will be much more than a quarter than what we've had over the last decade. Because they were abnormally good. And, of course, that sort of environment's suit the tech shares, you know, massively well. You know, well, not just tech shares, but the tech shares just happen to be the high valued or the high price earning IP ratio shares or, or just the tech shares. They could have been any grouping. They could have been biotech. They could have been anything, but it happened to be in this set of circumstances, the fangs or the mangs. Mm. And they benefited hugely. So therefore, even though the companies obviously will still be around and obviously make huge profits and huge cash flows, the share price won't perform the same, I don't think. So I think we're in for a decade of, let's call it normal returns, but of course it will be viewed as a decade of bad returns because it will be compared to the previous decade of abnormally good returns. Wayne, there's not much to talk about on the corporate front, so I'll talk about no, the rand. Nothing. Yeah, absolutely nothing. It's, it's very dreary. dreary. Uh, the dollar rand is 15.07, uh, which in yes. the last 24 hours is a 2.8% fall for the rand against the US yeah, dollar. Yeah, it's quite big, yeah. Uh, what is it? Is it the floods? Is it, um, is it a no, sudden... No, I mean, I thought... What is it? I thought a lot about this. Mm -hmm. And the one phenomenon I've found in markets is that, well, first of all, People are always look for a reason. Why is something doing it? Hmm. And sometimes there's no reason, by the way. Markets just go up and markets go down, and sometimes there's more buyers than sellers. And yeah. So that's the first thing I've, I've learned about markets. And the second thing I've learned is uh, people often get confused between 
the reason and the trigger. Now, the reason for the RAND weakness, let me give you a classic example. Go on. When the Vietnam War escalated, whichever, you know, when they, what was it? I forget the name. I don't know the Vietnam War well. But when the Viet Cong sort of attacked the American embassy, you know, not, not right at the end. You know, there was a whole consorted attack on America, on Americans and South Vietnam long before the war ended. I forget its name. But anyway, when that happened, the market didn't collapse. Okay, because the market was cheap. So in other words, to me, what's happening now with the RAND, uh, it was the Tet offensive, I think. What happened now with the RAND is the RAND at 1450 was expensive. So it was going to weaken. The floods and the downgrade of South Africa's growth rate by the IMF and the stage four load shedding, I think, is just a trigger as to why it's happening now. It's not the reason. The reason was the rand was overvalued. So in other words, if all of this had have happened when the rand was 16 against the dollar, I don't think it would have even been the slightest effect because at 16, the rand would have been undervalued. So I, I think that this is just a trigger, but the reason why the rand has fallen is that 14.50 it was expensive. It was overvalued. The other thing is that is very interesting is that the rand goes with the dollar now. I mean, normally you get a strong dollar, a weak rand, a weak dollar, a strong rand. Now they're going yeah. in tandem because the dollar today, for example, is two thirds of a percent weaker against the euro, and the rand yeah. is two point eight percent weaker against the the dollar. They seem to be going in tandem, and I'm sure it's a commodity story, Wayne. No, it's all related. They're all interlinked because of American growth is by and large the commodity cycle. I mean, China's obviously involved as well, but the Chinese economy and the American economy, you know, they're not, they're not unsynchronized. So yes, that's what it, that, that's actually what it boils down to. But you know what, what we forget as South Africans yes. is that somehow in, in our psyche here, the Rand is a perpetually weak currency. You know, <laughs> it is just a terrible currency. It's, it's somehow in the psyche of of South Africans. Now, I'm just calling up the graph here very quickly. Well, while you call up the graph, um, I'll tell you, when I came to South Africa you know, in the rand, no, sorry, I've just got it, 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 it was yeah. 190 against the US dollar. Actually, maybe it oh, was I can remember. I can remember. I'm showing my age now. When I started working, yeah. it was $1.35 to the rand. So almost par. Okay. No, the the the... the one dollar thirty-five US oh. cents to one rand. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay, but now the rand now the rand now is where it is in the end of twenty fifteen. Okay, so, so for seven years the rand has moved sideways. Seven years. Congratulations to the rand. Yeah, it's 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 a, it has moved. There's been a lot of volatility. In other words, mm. it's it was. It was 15 at the end of 2015, and it's 15 now. But in the interim, it's gone as it's gone as low as 17, and as high as 11, and as low as 20, and as high as 13. You know, so there's still, you know, a good 40% volatility around that average. But the rand now is where it was at the end of 2015. But I know you so look, actually. I know you look at the rand. Um, as part of your investment process, Wayne, we've spoken about this before, and you say the RAND should be here, but it's actually here, and therefore uh, I'm yes. going to adjust my portfolios accordingly. 
What are you doing at the moment? Correct. Because the RAND, to uh, me, is very there, strong. There is some RAND weakness coming. There is some RAND weakness coming. So we've taken money overseas already. Exactly. We've increased our global exposure. Okay, good. Uh, tell me about your food stories from the last week, please, if you have any. Oh, yes. No, I actually, actually, I went out to a, a very trendy bar. Oh, yeah. Uh, not bar, it's a restaurant. A, a very trendy restaurant. Where my partner and I, so over the weekend, we have huge variations and alterations in our going out to restaurants. So we went out to a very, a very trendy restaurant where we were by far the oldest on Friday night. Called then what? we went out to, it was called the Josie Gin Bar. Oh, yeah, That's right. very trendy. Mm. Very, very trendy. And I'll come back to that. Then on Sundays, we go to what we call the Bullet Pub where we are by far the youngest. <laughs> yes. So that's our variation. Okay, we I want you to go to, I want you to note this down now, in a place called Cramerville. Are you near to Cramerville? Yes, I know Cramerville Law. Okay, my daughter has just been appointed as the manager of uh, a wine bar and restaurant there, and it's called Father Coffee Wine Bar. Father Coffee is uh, one of these trendy yeah, barista coffee places, and, and they, okay. they sell overpriced coffee. Uh, but anyway, they've they've decided to expand into the wine bar, into wine restaurant business. Yeah, exactly. So go there. And uh, I left to go. It's just around the corner from my exactly, house. Exactly. The, the, the Father Coffee Wine Bar. My daughter's name is Annabelle. She's an attractive-looking young woman, and um, if you so she takes off to her mother. She, she, she. Yep. <laughs> I'll send you photos. <laughs> she, she takes after her father, and um, you should go there and um, and and say. No, um, certainly will. Lindsay Williams um, sent you, and she'll um, she won't give you a free glass of wine, but she'll certainly no, give you a, a welcoming. She'll give you a welcoming smile. Wayne, my my okay, story, my, my my food story is very very simple. You know, I, I get bored with food in the Netherlands. It is very, very boring. And I went, I've started to go to my acupuncturist uh, after many, many months of not being there because I don't live in Rotterdam anymore. But I start to take a trip to Rotterdam every Saturday morning and go to my acupuncturist. And he says, Lindsay, you've got to um, do what the Muslims do. You must eat one meal a day. Pretend that every day is Ramadan and you mm -hmm. cook, cook some broth and you have this broth, and I think I've spoken to you about broth before, but anyway, I cook this broth with different types of bones, chicken and um, veal bones and all that sort of thing, and I have it with you know, some asparagus or broccoli or something like that. But also I've been reading about the, the properties of seaweed, and there's a seaweed farm just down the road from me here, and I'm sure. starting to think about seaweed putting seaweed in my broth. I don't know if you've ever been to Japan or no. ever eaten seaweed, but there was I have eaten some seaweed at a Japanese restaurant, but yeah. Yes. But and what... if it's and if it's if it's crispy, I, I don't know about that seaweed in a broth, but I've had crispy seaweed, which was probably grilled or fried and I and I mean that just tasted like crispy onions. You know, little bland crispy onions. Well the the the, the, the health giving qualities of seaweed are legendary. No, apparently uh, so, yes. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. I'm going off to my seaweed farm tomorrow on my bicycle. Uh, very healthy as well. Then, I'm buying some seaweed and I'm gonna put it yeah, into, you, you, into my you, broth. You're cheating slightly, eh? It's an electric bicycle. Now, Wayne, no, you see, you don't slightly. understand. 
No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Because that's not. There's not many mountains to climb in the Nederland on your bicycle there. No, but there's plenty the of winds. There's plenty of winds in okay, the Nederlands. Enough. Okay, fair enough. Exactly. So, but today, okay. for example, I cycled for 16 kilometers, and there was no wind, so I didn't use my electric battery facility once. I was in. I've got oh. seven manual gears. I've got three electric gears, and I didn't use it once. And um, you know, I come back feeling feeling good about myself. I've got a tan. Oh, well, that, that is that is nice to hear. You've got to have. But the, I tell you another. Here we go. Off you go. I tell you another food story. Please. I went to Spur on Monday. Oh, here we go. And had Spur onion rings. Oh yeah. And uh, with other stuff, I had a hamburger with it, uh, well, well, lamb, 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 lamb chops with it. Of course you did. And some chippies, <laughs> but spur, spur onion rings mm-hmm. are just delicious. Big onion rings with, with, covered in batter, right? No, no, they're thin. They're, they're like, no, they're, 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 they've got batter in but they're like little shoestring. They're quite thin. Oh. And they come in like a big pile. No, they are just too delicious for it. Goodness me. As always, on a Wednesday, it's uh, only five o'clock, but I'm already getting really hungry for my seaweed and broth. Wayne McCurry, thank you very much for your time this evening. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment, and that was Wayne on Wednesday. Thank you, Wayne. Okay, Lindsay. Okay, cheers, sir. Bye-bye. Will we chat next Wednesday on the public holiday? Uh, next Wednesday on the public holiday is... Well, sure it's Wednesday as a public holiday next week. Oh, yeah, it's the 27th. And do you know what it is as well? It's well, a just dub- give us a shot, yeah. It's a double public holiday because it's King's Day in the um, in the Netherlands. Okay. They celebrate the king. So if you'd like to, I don't know, it's up to you. I don't mind. No, yeah, well, just give us a call if you want to chat. No okay, problem. jolly good. Thanks okay. very much. Okay, cheers. Right, Bye. cheers. Eh? The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.